0: this is our destiny the battle's already won make it loud we're giving everything by the cross we've overcome hello and welcome back to the home bible study podcast we are currently studying in the uh, letter to the hebrews we're in chapter 12. we left off uh, last time at verse 15. And now we move into the next uh, part of this—I um, don't know—dissertation from uh, the writer, um, and it's—it's it's not an easy. It's not easy things to study. Uh, I understand that, and it requires a breadth of knowledge of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament to properly be able to interpret what the writer is saying. And it's, I'm going to try my best to put this in as simplest terms as possible and be as concise as possible so that uh, everyone who may be listening will be able to get something from it. But at the end of the day, I'm leaning very heavily upon God, the Holy Spirit, to make this uh, application to you because um, that's why we have God, the Holy Spirit, to to do that, and I'm putting my faith and trust completely in His ministry, not only to me but also to you. So, with that said, let's get into the study. Um, Hebrews has been very interesting. It has taught me so much about um, so much more about the Lord than uh, I knew before I studied this book. And that is the, the Bible in itself is a living book. And so we grow in grace and knowledge of the word and that's how it should be. So that's a good litmus test um, for uh, growth and maturity that as you go through the scripture, you are learning new things um, and things that you've already learned have are being confirmed. Uh, that's um what we want. That's how we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, and that's what we're exhorted to do. So the last time, this whole section that we're looking at right now is about discipline, and the writer is explaining the importance of discipline, the application of discipline, and the attitude that we should have uh, as the children of God to discipline and that's something that the world if you look around right now you don't see a lot of everybody's kind of doing their own thing they do what they want to do they make their own rules um that's the human nature of man and it's running rampant right now because um that's just the world that we live in but we're we as believers are instructed to lean not on our own understanding but uh to trust in the word of God. And so that's what we're going to do um, with this podcast and this Bible study. So um, in the last lesson, we looked at the attitude towards that we should have as we experience the discipline that God has given to us. And every believer must be disciplined. Uh, it's we're born in sin and conceived in iniquity, so we we're born with this anti-God mentality. Our nature is anti-God. Salvation is the process of delivering us from the consequences and penalty of that. But sanctification is the process of um, making us to be in alignment with the mind and spirit of God. So salvation is deliverance from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is to be uh, conformed from the old man, which is the sinful way that we were born to think in alignment with the world, the flesh and the devil, and and to be conformed from that place to a place of being like Christ. And that's the goal of progressive sanctification. Sanctification has three parts. There's uh, the, the sanctification that comes when you're saved, you know, when you're delivered. There's the progressive sanctification that is worked out throughout your life, right? And then there's the ultimate sanctification when you are in heaven. So it's a three-part um, journey in discipline plays a very big role in that progressive sanctification. So we have to keep in mind that we have a responsibility. We have a level of accountability to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. And that doesn't happen overnight, right? Salvation is instant, but sanctification, progressive sanctification happens over time. So it's important to understand that and to understand that God is extending grace to each of us to develop and to mold us along that path. Now, my path in progressive sanctification may be very different from yours, right? The particulars, the circumstances, the situations, but the end result and the process is the same. And so that's what we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter 12. We're looking at discipline and that process in which God takes us from uh, the way we used to think, what the Bible calls the old man, right? And brings us to the new man, that, 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 that mind of Christ that is so important for us to be able to be functional and of use in the service To the Lord Jesus, because that's the point, right? We are vessels for his use. And if we are not disciplined, if we're not moving along that path towards that goal of, you know, being like Christ, being holy as he is holy, then we could be of no use um, to him. And so much was said um in the last lesson where um he says uh, in verse 15 looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled so uh in verse 14 before that he says follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord so there's a consequence to live in a life without discipline, even for the believer, right? And that's something that we have to understand. A lot of people have a mindset that, oh, I'm saved. Now, everything's hunky-dory. My life's going to be great. Um, And that's kind of that prosperity gospel that is really not the gospel at all. It's just a false teaching. The reality is, if you look at the scripture after people are saved is when they really start to experience some very difficult things. That's you could basically say that's when the trouble starts, right? Because now you're no longer conformed to the way of this world. And if you are traveling with the flow of a stream, it's easy, right? The inertia, the, the force of the stream pushes you along, it carries you, and you just kinda go along. But when you stop and you go against that current, right? Because you've been saved and now you're no longer of the world and now you're in opposition to the world, now you're gonna experience some challenges, right? So that's what this is. And, and the writer here is trying to encourage these Hebrew people who were definitely experiencing some challenges. And um, I'm gonna go ahead and read um, these verses and then we're gonna get into it, but I just wanted to give a little context and, and to remind you that these are Hebrew believers. So the things, the examples that have been given throughout this letter have been very much tied to their culture, to their history, Things that were ingrained into their society and mindset in a way that me, not being a Hebrew, not growing up in that environment, will not have the same impact. But I can relate to it from the standpoint that I, too, experienced this same kind of discipline from God. So knowing these stories, knowing the whole of the Bible, it's so important to go through the Bible completely and understand how all these uh, different stories fit together into one coercive, um, cohesive excuse me, unit and how they all describe God. They all paint a picture of man and God and the relationship that God has established with man through the Lord Jesus Christ. So starting in verse 16, I'm going to read lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So I'm going to stop there. Let's take a look at this. So the example here is Esau. Now Esau is famous because of his brother, Jacob and Esau. They're the first recorded twins in scripture. Now there's probably other twins born before them and after them uh, for sure. But there may have been twins born before them, but those twins were not important to the scripture to the godly line the line that would eventually lead to christ so in the scriptures in the old testament in genesis we see the godly line that would eventually lead to christ this is the account that god has highlighted the people that he has highlighted because those people have significance um to the birth of the messiah uh so jacob and esau um they were twins uh and just to give you a little description if you don't know the account. Uh, it's in Genesis of Jacob and Esau. Um, just to give you a little background, Esau was a hunter. He was a man's man. Um, I imagine. I don't know, but I imagine he was probably uh, pretty ruddy. Uh, we know he was very hairy. That's we can tell that from the account in the scripture. Uh, He was a very hairy man. He liked to hunt. He was um, adept at hunting and preparing food and, um, you know, the things that, you know, that we would associate with masculinity, you know, for the most part. His brother Jacob, on the other hand, was, he was around his mom quite a bit. He was... Uh, More thoughtful, I think he I think he was an observer and he always looked for an opportunity to get a situation and turn it to his advantage. He would be called in our modern term shrewd. He was very shrewd. So here's these two twins. Uh, Esau was born first. Jacob came out holding on to Esau's ankle as if. He was trying to come out before him. The significance of that is that the firstborn receives the blessing. The firstborn receives all the blessing of God, the primary blessing, the, the lion's share, you might say, of the blessing. So um, their mother said that the children were struggling inside of her like they were she could feel them just struggling back and forth all the time. And she was concerned and um, the struggle was that Jacob was trying to usurp Esau. Even at birth, he was trying to take the place of Esau. So this put it just describing this story. It sounds like, well, Jacob's pretty much a rascal and Esau's kind of a good guy. That's what you would think. That's the picture that we get of these two uh, men. And, it's not a bad picture, wouldn't you wouldn't be incorrect. From just from a worldly perspective, human perspective, Jacob's the bad guy. He's the one that's trying to he's conniving, he's trying to usurp his brother's position. he's trying to do all these things. He Jacob even went as far as deceiving, along with his mother with his mother's help, deceiving his father into taking. That blessing to tricking his father into who was half blind into giving him the blessing that was due to Esau. OK, so Jacob was not a good person by any means. There's nobody that's going to say, well, Jacob, he was a good guy and he just got a bad deal. That's not the case. He was a rascal. Uh, he was not a good guy. In fact, whenever God subsequently would talk about the nation Israel and talk about them from the stand, the standpoint of them, being disobedient he would call them jacob he would call them by that name so it's well established that uh esau was generally a good guy and jacob wasn't but there came an opportunity for uh where esau came home from the hunt he didn't find anything so back in those days they didn't have you know um beef jerky that they would take with him he ran out of food He didn't find anything to kill for the hunt to eat. So he was starving, came back home and he saw his brother eating some food and said, give me some of that food. And the brother was like, here's my opportunity. He says, give me your birthright and I'll give you my food. And so Esau was like, what good is a birthright going to do to me? I'm, you know, that's something that's, way away in the future that dad is going to give me uh, in the future. I'm not really worried about that. I need to eat right now. He says, you can have it. So he gave him the food. Jacob did. Esau ate it. And in that instance, Esau gave away his right to the blessing. Now, for us, what does that mean, the blessing? The blessing doesn't mean a lot to us, right? But to them, it meant everything. Because whoever had the blessing inherited everything, the lion's share of everything from the father, all of his possessions, his cattle, and also God's favor. All of that came with that blessing and it was handed down from the father to son. And Esau was supposed to have that and he didn't get it because he traded it for that food because he was hungry. And that's what's being referenced here. That's the account that's being referenced here. And later on, um, Esau would understand the consequences of that decision. So um, with that as a background, let's let's see what the Word of God says about Esau. Verse 16, it says, Lest there be any fornicator. Well, fornication is um, sexual sin. What it is, fornication, or profane person. To be profane is someone who is to, um, you know, take the, the Lord's name in vain, or to the things that God accounts as holy, for them to treat them as unholy or unimportant. So that's why it says fornicator, or now we're talking about Esau, a profane person as Esau. Because Esau completely disregarded the value of a relationship and the blessing of having a relationship with God. In spite of the fact that he was raised in a household where God was the priority and that relationship was established through his father, um, he, he didn't value that. It wasn't important to him. He considered it profane. You know, He profaned the holy and righteous God, and, the, and devalued God. Now, we see a lot of that happening now in our day. That's pretty common. I mean, people are attacking the Bible. They are attacking the Word of God. They are attacking the people of God um, daily on all sorts of medium and media. Um, it's open season right now. And the reason that is happening is because we are living in a time of the apostasy, and that is going to grow. That's not going to go anywhere. We're going to see more and more of that. Um, but this this case is unique in that you know when we see that it's usually people who are attacking Christians or Christianity and uh, who really are not very familiar with the Word of God. That's not the case with Esau, right? He grew up in a household where he was taught the value of the relationship with God. His father was a very godly man and prioritized God in his household. So for Esau to do this was even more heinous. And um, that's why he's labeled for eternity as a profane person. So God summed it up and says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. So we know that this didn't happen by coincidence. This was planned. God had already chosen Jacob, even though Esau was the firstborn. Well, why would God do that? Why would God say that the firstborn is going to receive the blessing and then turn around and purpose? For Jacob to get it, who was the second born, somebody who was conniving, someone who was, you know, shrewd and, you know, displayed all the despicable characteristics of a not so great human being. Why would God do that? Well, the reason that I believe God did that, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, is because God wanted to show that. He loves whom he loves. Just like he tells Moses, I'll I'll place my love on who I want to place my love upon. He is showing his power in election. That's what's happening here. And it's important for us to understand that throughout the Bible, we see this happening. God will set a precedent that says, hey, this is how this has to happen. And then he will do something to show His grace or his power in a way to send a message home to say, yes, I know that, you know, this is how you would assume that it should be. But I'm sovereign and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want to do it. Now, there's a lot of people that have a problem with that. And that's okay. That's okay. They can have a problem with it. But it's not going to change the fact that God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. Now, thankfully, we have a God that's holy and he is limited. I repeat that God is limited in what he can do because he can only do the things that are in line with his nature. God cannot lie. Right. It's impossible for him to lie. His nature, his holiness won't allow it. So thank God for, that we have a holy God and a righteous God, right? So in his holy and righteous wisdom, he chose Jacob. Why is that significant that he chose Jacob and not Esau? Because we all see we would have chose Esau. He seems like a really nice guy. Well, it's, it's significant because we are more like Jacob than we are Esau right? And in spite of the way Jacob was, not because of he was such a great guy, but in spite of him being a great guy, God extended his grace to him and saved him and placed his love upon him. And Esau seemed like a great guy, you know, pretty somebody that, you know, if we saw him in modern day, we'd probably think, hey, that's a, seems like a pretty decent guy, you know, from our estimation. But God says that, I don't place my love upon people because of who or what they are. It's according to my sovereign will. And that's what we see. And that's the significance of using Esau as an example here. So the other significance that I see is that this account would have been very important to the Hebrew people. They understood and they knew these things that, you know, we're learning they already knew why that God selected Jacob over Esau. That was ingrained into their society. And every time they got a prophecy from some prophet and, and God would say, oh, Jacob, you worm. They knew what God was saying. He was reminding them of the fact that he chose them in spite of themselves. Right? And that's why I believe the writer is using Esau as an example here. He's not an example of salvation, but he's an example of a Jewish person under covenant. So he has a relationship with God that did not prioritize or value that relationship with God and the tragedy of that. And if you look at it from that standpoint, then it makes sense why it would be placed here when we talk about discipline, because The writer is warning us, don't be like Esau. We have a relationship with God. We as believers have been given this this grace, this amazing grace, that God has placed salvation upon us, given us salvation in spite of who we are, right? And we should not take that lightly that he wants to discipline us and to bring things in our lives to shape us and make us into who he wants us to be, right? Because he's the potter and we're the clay. So this example is being used so that we don't have that attitude of Esau, right? As we go through this process of being disciplined, that we don't allow a root of bitterness to spring up and trouble us. Right, Because if that happens, we won't lose our salvation. I mean, we're saved regardless. But what we will lose is the opportunity to glorify God through our lives. And not only will we not be able to glorify God, but we'll also defile others. Why is that possible? Because if we take our eyes off the Lord and we're not prioritizing God, then we're going to be that example for other people to do the same. Right? So it's really important for us to understand why Esau was used as an example here. And in verse 17, it says, for ye know, well, yeah, they know. That's really important. For ye know, why? Because they're Hebrews. This is a part of their history. For ye know how that afterwards, When he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. See, later on, after he got that pot of beans or whatever he ate in exchange for his birthright, when it was time for his father to give out the birthright, it didn't go to him. It went to his brother, his younger brother. And at that time, he was remorseful. He regretted what he had done. Oh, well, why is that? Because their time had passed by. And he learned and understand the value of that blessing and also the stupidity of his actions to trade it for a meal. So he he went and he begged for that blessing from his dad. But his dad's like, no, you're not getting it. And it says, he sought it carefully with tears in his eyes. This to me is a picture of regret. It's a picture of the kind of regret that can be experienced by believers. When we look at our lives and we see opportunities to grow and when we realize, you know, I could have spent that time in the word. I could have applied myself more to um, what God wants for me in my life, and prayer, and praying on behalf of others, myself, just being more diligent and disciplined, and I didn't. I chose a different route. I chose the lights, the flashing lights, and the um, adornments that the world placed in front of me and I got off track. You know, it's like the prodigal son. It happens. And so Esau is a picture of that. But even more than that, Esau is a picture of the unsaved. Because I know for a fact that when a person dies, they go to hell if they're unsaved. And hell is just a holding place. It's not their final destination. And when they're in hell, they know the Bible. They know the truth of the word. They know who God is. And it's all very clear to them. And they probably cry. There's probably some tears shed. Uh, There's probably some pleading that happens. But it's too late. Just like with Esau. It was too late, and yeah, there's no going back. The good thing for the believer is that we have grace every day. If you see yourself in Esau, if you see right now, you see, you know, that sounds like me. You know, I, I something happened in my life, and I got bitter, and You know, I blamed God for it. I became like Jonah and I got mad at God and I just started doing whatever I wanted to do. And now I find myself in a place where I feel like I'm far away from God. And I'm trying to find my way back. The good news for you, brother or sister, is that although you may have stepped away from God, he has never stepped away from you. He has always been right there, right there with you the whole time. And he desires to have your fellowship. This is the overarching message of not only Hebrews, but also of the Bible, that the God of that created this universe desires to have a relationship and fellowship with man and particularly those whom he has called and redeemed and brought unto salvation. That's why he saves us, because he desires to have a relationship with us. It's not because we desire to have a relationship with, with him. It says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He died for people who hated him. And the process of salvation is him wooing those that he, the Father has given him Unto himself, Jesus is wooing, he's romancing those whom he's chosen to be saved and bringing them to himself. And he's also lovingly nurturing them through discipline to make them into the best version of who they could possibly be. To make them like Christ, to make them like him. By giving us God, the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. And so if you find yourself like Esau and you're, you've been in this place of where you feel like you've been far from God, let me, on behalf of him, tell you that he loves you. He desires to have fellowship with you and his arms are outstretched waiting to embrace you, right? Just like that faithful father and the prodigal son. And he has purposed discipline, the things that are happening in your life, to bring you back to him. That's part of that discipline. For those who um, feel like, hey, I've always been with the Lord. I've walked with him steadily. Well, then that discipline is going to continue on that Discipline will continue on that same path. It'll keep you in a path that you need to be on. But the purpose of God's discipline is for the good of his people and our testimony. And all of this glorifies the Lord Jesus. So he says it's important for us to understand the example of Esau. Right? Because He says in verse 17, For ye know... How that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. We, those who are saved, we will never be rejected. And if nothing else, if you can't praise the Lord for anything else in your life, praise the Lord for that. You can spend the rest of your life just praising the Lord for that. That once he saves us, we will never be rejected. Never. We can reject him. But he'll never reject us. That's the faithfulness and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that Esau found no place of repentance. Of course not, because um, God had never placed his love upon him. So there was no place for repentance for him. That's the bottom line. You know, um, it's not what we do that makes God love us. It's God loves us in spite of what we do. But what we do for him, we do because of the love that he's extended to us. That's the way it works. That's the process here. And so the role of discipline in our lives is really an act of the love of God. And it's important for us to understand that um, wherever we are in our growth pattern, in our relationship to the Lord Jesus, if you feel far away, if you feel very close, um, it, regardless of how you, what you feel, your position is, God is very close to us always. He has indwelled us with His Spirit with God the Holy Spirit. And so we're never far away from His love. And there is nothing that you've done in the past, present, or future that you can do that will separate you from that love. So the exhortation of this particular study, this particular section is Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. And if you take him off for for a little while and you've gotten in a place where you don't want to be, get your eyes back on him. He loves you. He's waiting to embrace you, to dust you off and set you back on the right path. He's faithful to do that. So with that said, um, I hope that this particular reference to Esau makes a little more sense. Uh, Certainly, there's a lot more that could be said about this, but I want to keep it as simple as possible and just really reiterate the fact that Esau here is not an example of salvation. It's not what's being presented here. But like I said before, he's presented as a Jewish person under covenant. How does that relate to us? We are believers under the new covenant. So we have a relationship with God. So he's a Jewish person under under covenant that did not prioritize or value that relationship with God. And so the warning here by the writer is that we must prioritize our relationship with God. And we can't let the opposition... The hard things that we go through lead us down a path of bitterness. But we have to understand that those things are coming to us for a purpose and a reason and continue to trust God through them. We have to see the things that come into our lives as being brought to us by him. Right. And if you don't understand why. Ask. Ask. He will tell you, he will explain it to you. He will show you in his word through exhortation and encouragement from others. However he wants to minister to you, he will let you know the purpose and plan for the things that he brings into your life. You just, you have to just look to him because he's the only one that has the answers. I don't. And no one else does. Only God has them. And I really believe he does that to to kind of force us to go to him, to help us to create that ongoing dialogue, that rapport that he desires to have with us and that we should desire. And that the more you engage in, the more you will desire. And that's progressive sanctification. See how it all just kind of comes together? So trust the Lord Jesus, trust him, trust his word. I pray that this uh, lesson would be a blessing to you. I pray that he would bless that, these truths to us and help us to grow and to serve him in these very trying times. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your grace. Um, There's so much that we don't understand. But you have in your grace and kindness given us your word, your instruction, and God, the Holy Spirit, to make us to understand and apply these truths to our lives. I pray, Father, that you would use this lesson uh, in my life and in the lives of others to bring us closer to you, to help us to be more grounded and firm in our stance and to Bring us great joy, knowing that your love is in these uh, things that you bring in our lives to discipline us, that that's your love for us, and help us to understand and to know that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.